Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus. So glad that you can be here today on this last Sunday of July. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 126th Psalm. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Take your hymnals this morning, open to number 630. What a friend we have in Jesus. If you're able and willing, stand together with me. Number 630. number 680 as you take your seats all the way my savior leads me 680 Oh, my weird. 
steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be gushing from the rock before me lo a spring of joy i see gushing from the rock before me lo a spring of joy i see all the way my savior leads me oh the fullness of his love perfect rest to me is promised in my father's house above when my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day this my song through endless ages jesus led me all the way this my song through endless ages jesus led me all the If not, I invite you to bow your heads and hearts with me as we go before the throne of our God. God, our Father, how grateful we are that we can rightly call you Father. We can only do it because of what your Son has done to bring us to you. The fact is, Father, you tell us very plainly in your word that there was a time when we were aliens, foreigners, We had no part, no share in your blessings. We had no right to claim any of it. But your son, Jesus, has brought us near to you. We who once were afar off have been brought near, and we're so grateful that we're not only near, but we are part of your family, part of the household of faith, sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, your son. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in the world. So often we, we are tempted to focus on the news. And the news is almost always bad. But the truth is, Father, you are doing good things in this world where there is so much bad. You are at work. And you are accomplishing your purposes. You are working out your will. You are redeeming men and women, boys and girls, and saving them from their sins and bringing them into a right relationship with you through faith in Jesus. And we thank you that we get to be a part of that. Help us to be on the watch, to be on the lookout, to see you at work. We don't want to miss that. Help us not to focus on so much negative so much negativity that we miss the work that you're doing. We pray that you might, might give us the encouragement and the strength that we need to be involved in the work, to join you out there in the field and to do the work that you're busy doing. Father, we want to lift up this morning praises and requests. We, we do give you praise for the ways that you've been at work in all of these different lives. Uh, we've seen you do works of healing. We have seen you strengthen people. We've seen you uh, bring comfort to those who are sorrowing. Father, there are still many that we lift up in prayer, though. We, We pray for those who are sick and infirm. We pray for those who are lacking strength. We pray that you would heal and give strength. We pray for those who are grieving, Father, grieving over over the loss of a loved one, and we we pray that you would show yourself to be the God that you've declared yourself to be, the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, that you would make yourself known to these families, that you would comfort them in their time of sorrow and grief, that they would find gushing from the rock, like we sang about, a stream of joy in the midst of sorrow. Father, we pray for those who have various situations in life that they are struggling with. Maybe there are finances. Maybe there is is, uh, discord within the home, within the family. Uh, Father, whatever the needs are, you know them. We pray that you would work in their lives and that you would bring about redemption and restoration and renewal in the lives of those who are greatly needing these things. Dear Father, we pray for our country. We pray that you would grant repentance to our people. 
that we might turn from our sins and turn in faith to you through Jesus Christ, that you would heal our land. Our nation needs healing in so many ways, Father. If we keep looking to men and women to save us and to, and to lead us, we'll, we're always going to be disappointed. We pray that this people might turn their hearts to you that they might seek after righteousness, hunger and thirst for it, and find it in the righteous one, Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray for, pray for our church that you would use this little chapel to carry out your work, that we would be a good witness, a good and faithful witness in this community, among our neighbors, among our families, that the gospel of Jesus would be preached and lived in our midst. All of these things, Father, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. To our hymnals one last time today. Number 682. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. You may remain seated as we sing. chapter 28, last chapter of the book, and we're at the very end of that chapter. Last week, the sermon was titled, What is God Up To? And the answer we gave was, God is in the business of extending the reach of the gospel to more and more people. Today, we're going to take another look right at the end of Acts chapter 28, and we're going to answer that question with a what's God up to part two. And the answer is God is accomplishing his redemptive purposes. God's accomplishing his redemptive purposes. But before we get too far into it, I want to set you up for a little bit later. Let's imagine this phone rang, and I picked it up, and I had a call. Now, you can't hear what the people what the person on the other end of the line is saying, but you can hear what I'm saying, okay? And so you're listening to me, and I say, mm-hmm, okay. Oh, yeah, here, in just a little bit. Sure, that's no problem. Um, milk, eggs, bread. Okay, I can do that. I'll see you in a little bit. Okay, I love you too, dear. Bye. Okay, you listened into one end of a phone conversation. Can you figure out what it was about? Pretty much, can't you? Do you want to try? Who was I talking to, do you think? Probably. Well, what tipped you off? Dear, I love you too. Yeah. And, and what do you think we were talking about? Groceries. Well, what do you think she wanted me to do? What? 
Yeah, she, she was saying, hey, what time are you going to be home? I said, oh, just a little bit. Oh, sure, I can stop by the store. Yeah, you need, what were the items again? Milk, eggs, bread. Okay, so listening to one end of a phone call, you can, you can pick up most of what's going on. You might not know all the details, but you can pick up a good bit. Uh, this is going to be an important concept for all of us to keep in mind, because sometimes when we read the letters of the New Testament, I'm talking about letters that Paul wrote to the churches, it's kind of like listening to one side of a phone call. There's some details that we have to kind of piece together because the phone call isn't to us. The phone call was to someone else, and we are listening in to one side of that call, and we're trying to figure out what it's about. There's going to be more on that later. But for now, let's start with our scripture. We're in Acts chapter 28. And we're going to pick up in verse 23. To give you the background, Paul is on house arrest in the city of Rome. He's awaiting a trial before Caesar Augustus. Not Caesar Augustus, Caesar Nero. He's awaiting his trial, but he has certain liberties. He can receive guests. People can come and visit him, and he's free to talk to them. He's free to share the gospel with them and teach the scriptures, and no one tells him he can't do it. And so, here he is, house arrest in Rome, and he calls for the leaders of the Jews who are in Rome. And there was a large Jewish population in Rome. He calls for the leaders of the Jews to come meet with him. And he says, I don't know what you've all heard about me, but I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> Whatever you heard, it's not true. And they said, we haven't heard anything, Paul. But we are looking forward to hearing about uh, this Christianity thing, uh, gospel, whatever it is, uh, because we hear people say bad things about it everywhere. We want to hear your take on it. And so Paul speaks to the leaders of the Jews here in verse 23. He's just spent all day talking to them. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. He said, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul preaches the gospel to them. He shows that the Old Testament, all, everything the prophets and Moses had written, all point to Jesus Christ as being the fulfillment of God's promises. God's promise to bless Israel. God's promise to bless the world. It all points to Jesus and yet they disagreed when they heard it. Some were persuaded, but some disbelieved. And Paul said, Isaiah the prophet, who spoke 700 years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth through Isaiah when he said, this people, they hear and they don't understand. They see and they don't perceive. Their hearts are hard. They've shut their eyes to the truth. He said the Holy Spirit was right when he talked about our forefathers, and he's right about you too, he says to these Jewish leaders who were disbelieving. And he said, I'm telling you, the message is going to go to the Gentiles now, the non-Jews, the nations of the world, and they will hear because their hearts have not grown calloused. They haven't shut their eyes. They will hear. We're talking today about God's redemptive purposes. And there's three points that we're going to touch on today. 
The first is Jesus' secret Messiah mission. Jesus' secret Messiah mission. The second, mysteries revealed. And the third, Jewish objections and judicial hardening. Some of these almost sounds like headlines that you might see on the National Enquirer when you're standing in the supermarket checkout. Mysteries revealed. A Messiah secret that Jesus had and Jewish objections and judicial hardening. Hopefully by the end of today, it'll all make sense. First, Jesus' Messiah secret. I want to take you to the little gospel of Mark. I could have taken you to the other gospels, but Mark is a short gospel. It's fast-paced, and I want you to notice something very strange in the gospel of Mark. It begins in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. If you want to turn to them with me, you can. If you'd rather just listen and take them in, that's fine too, because I'm going to go through a lot of references in Mark's gospel. If, you, if it's easier just to listen, just listen. Mark 1, 23 through 26. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Jesus told the unclean spirit, be quiet, don't you talk. Verse 34 of the same chapter. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak. Why? Because they knew him. They knew who he was. Same chapter, verses 40 through 45. Then a leper, a man with leprosy, came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But don't tell anyone what has happened. Go to chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw Jesus, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Jesus had been speaking to the crowds using parables. Verse 10 of chapter 4. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you, to the twelve, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are on the outside, all things come in parables. Why? Verse 12. So that seeing they may see and not perceive... And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Jesus says that the reason he's teaching in parables is because to these, his apostles, it's been given to them to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to everyone else that he's preaching to, no. And he's speaking in parables so they won't understand it, so that their eyes won't be opened, so they won't hear with their ears and believe. How strange is this? Jesus is saying, I'm teaching the way I am so they won't believe. That's weird, isn't it? Go to chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. This is the only, the only exception to what we're going to see in the book of Mark here. Chapter 5, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus has gone over across the Sea of Galilee. He's gone to the region of the Gadarenes, uh, a region that is called Decapolis. It means ten cities. There are ten cities in this region. This isn't exactly Jewish territory. It's kind of like uh, brackish water. There's some Jews living here, but there's also a lot of Gentiles. There's also a lot of Jews who live like Gentiles. They live like the Greeks do. It's called Decapolis, ten cities. It's not exactly Israel. 
So that's where he's at, and he's just cast a demon out of a man who's been living among the tombs there, a wild man. After it happens, verse 18, when Jesus got into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Here's the only exception to the rule throughout the entire book of Acts. And, and we could keep going. I've got reference upon reference here of Jesus healing someone and then saying, don't tell anyone about it. And yet, here in this region that's not exactly Jewish territory, it's more of a Gentile region, he says, go back home and tell everyone what God has done for you. He's done great things for you. Tell people about it. I'm going to take you to one more reference here just to try to make the case. We're going to go to Mark chapter 8, verses 26 through 33. Mark 8, 26 through 33. Oh, verse 26 is another case where Jesus tells someone, don't go into town, don't tell anyone in the town, don't tell anyone about this. Uh, verse 27 we're picking up though. Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Well, wow, Peter got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 30, and Jesus charged them that they should tell no one about him. Okay, you guys are getting it now. You're beginning to understand, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Don't tell anybody. Don't speak this to anyone. Wow, how strange is that? But let's continue on. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word to them openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter begins to say, Jesus, don't talk like this. This business about being arrested and, and beaten and crucified and killed and put don't talk like that that's not going to happen to you look what Jesus says when Jesus had turned around and looked at his disciples he rebuked Peter saying get behind me Satan for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men Peter or is it Satan speaking through Peter, is trying to derail the mission. Jesus has a mission which he has begun to share with his apostles. He says, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, tried, crucified. I'll be dead. On the third day, I'll rise again. They're like, what does that even mean? Jesus says, it's my mission. You're beginning to understand that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. Don't tell anyone about it because I have a mission and my mission depends upon going to Jerusalem and being arrested, tried, crucified. Everything hinges on this. What are you talking about, Jesus? This is crazy talk, Peter says. Get behind me, Satan. You don't appreciate the things that are of God. What is going on here in Mark's gospel? And as I mentioned, there's other references I could take you to in interest of time. I'm going to skip over them. But time and time again, we see Jesus saying, don't tell anyone what I just did. Okay, you understand I'm the Messiah, the Christ? That's great. Don't tell anybody. Keep this a secret. What was the big secret? What was Jesus's Messiah secret all about? Well, I believe it was this. He gives us the clue in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, which we looked at, when they asked him, why do you teach people in parables? Why don't you just tell people plainly? And he says, look, to you, it's been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To you, 12, you, you disciples of mine, you apostles. But to the rest, their eyes are dim. Their ears are dull. They don't understand. Their hearts have grown calloused. And that's why I speak, so they won't believe. Something was going on that God was doing. 
It was called judicial hardening. The idea is this. When a person rejects the truth and then rejects the truth again and continues rejecting that truth, there comes a point where this person who has hardened their heart over and over and over again is finally going to reach a point where God does some hardening of that heart. But he does it for his purposes. And that's what I want to look at today. Why does God judicially, that is to say, he judges people by hardening their hearts. Why does he do that? Well, I think the first reason that we can see here in Mark's gospel is Jesus had a mission. And that mission hinged upon him being arrested, tried, crucified, dead, buried, so he could rise again. I'll tell you why I think this is the case. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching to a great multitude of Jews who are gathered in the city of Jerusalem. And in the midst of his sermon, he's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, he's saying God's plan was this. God had a plan and he was working it out. This is what God was up to. Jesus being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that Jesus should be held by it. Peter is calling the Jews there that day to this simple fact that while they took lawless hands and crucified the Son of God, God had a plan too, and that was part of God's plan. It was God's plan that Jesus should die for the sins of the people so that the people could be saved through faith in Him. I think that might have something to do with why Jesus had all this secrecy. He didn't want the people, at least many of them, to believe on him as the Messiah. There were times whenever they saw his miracles and they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And he had to slip away from them. Why? Because he had a mission and he couldn't be derailed and de distracted from that mission. And that mission was the cross. That had to happen. So, we come to the end of Acts chap chapter 28 and we see these Jewish leaders... Paul has presented the gospel to them. He's preached Christ from the scriptures. And they disbelieve. And he says, Isaiah was right about you guys. The Holy Spirit was right when he spoke through Isaiah saying that your eyes were going to be blind. You would see, but you wouldn't understand. You'd hear, but it wouldn't make any sense. Your hearts would be hard. You have shut your eyes. And that's an important thing I want to draw out. Paul says, you have shut your eyes. He doesn't say that God has shut your eyes. He said, you've closed your eyes. So we see these Jews are still being judicially hardened. What is making their hearts so hard? Well, that brings us to our second point, mysteries revealed. In the New Testament, we find the word mystery here and there. The word mystery simply means something that was hidden before, but now since Jesus Christ came, and the gospel has gone out. Now this thing that was hidden has been revealed. It's like pulling a, pulling a, a, a veil off of a statue at, at a public dedication in a park. Okay, the thing that was hidden has now been revealed. In the New Testament, we learn about some mysteries. There's three of them here I'm going to mention today. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. I'm not quoting these verses directly. I'm giving you the sense of them. If you wish to read them for yourself, you can. Ephesians 1, 9. Paul makes mention of a part of God's will that was a mystery. What was the mystery? What was the hidden part that wasn't known before, but now since Jesus came, it's understood, it's revealed? Well, it's simply this. That when the time was right... God would gather all things together in Christ. Hmm. When the time was right, God was going to gather all things together in Christ. We need a little bit more light. What does that mean? We go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 36. Paul talks about the mystery 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. This was something that was unknown before the gospel, before Jesus. But now since Jesus died and rose again and the gospel's been going out, Gentiles have been believing. This was a mystery to the Jews. How can this be? We didn't know it was part of God's plan that the Gentiles could be saved too, that they could be fellow heirs. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, as a Jew, I can kind of accept that. Yeah, go God. That's great. Oh, but there's more to the mystery in Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6. Not only should the Gentiles be fellow heirs, they should be fellow heirs of the same body. Zounds. As a Jew, this rocks my world. I can't understand that. Wait, Israel is the one who receives the promises of God. How can the Gentiles be part of that? I could accept that God could save the Gentiles too, but... but Maybe as a Jew in the first century, I would much prefer that we do it the way that the United States government did it in the middle of the 20th century with separate but equal. I'm okay with with the Gentiles having equal rights, but they're Gentiles, we're Jews. Uh Uh-uh. The mystery that was revealed through the gospel was that there is no separate but equal. There is altogether and equal. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. They are fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. As a Jew living in the first century, this is the thing that I would have found unacceptable. Yes, I could go so far as believing the gospel that the scriptures all point to Jesus. Okay, I'll accept it. I believe that. I'll even go so far as saying that God can save Gentiles, but that they get to be with us? Altogether, unacceptable. But that's the mystery that was revealed through the gospel. One more that I'll mention. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul makes mention of a mystery that hardening, judicial hardening, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Paul says that part of the mystery of the gospel, the thing that was hidden but is now revealed, is that God is judicially hardening Israel, but he has a redemptive purpose for it. And that's where I want to take you next. Now we are going to go to three of the most difficult chapters in all of the scriptures, at least my opinion. And we are not going to look at Romans 9, 10, and 11 verse by verse today. There's simply not enough time. We would need weeks to do that. But what I want you want to do is I want to give you the keys. Remember when you got the keys to the car for the first time? Remember what that felt like? I'm not giving you the keys to the car. I don't think you want my car. But I am giving you some keys to three of the hardest chapters that you're going to find in all of Scripture. And many people have gone off the track when they've come to Romans 9. 10 and 11, because it talks about hard things. It talks about this this concept of election. This is an election year. We're going to choose a president later this year, right? Or at least we think we're choosing one. Um, Romans 9, 10, and 11 talks about election, that God elects, and he does some choosing. And some people have read through these chapters and walked away with this notion that God has chosen some people to believe the gospel, and that no one can believe the gospel unless God chooses them, and they believe the gospel, and then they they can be saved. And then the flip side of that coin is that God has chosen some people to not believe the gospel because he's chosen them to burn in hell for eternity. If you read those chapters and you go off the rails, off the track, you can end up with that belief. But that belief doesn't square up with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't square up with the rest of what God has revealed. So today, I give you keys so that you yourselves can read Romans 9, 10, and 11. And using the keys, you can understand what Paul is talking about because Paul is answering some Jewish objections. And we're listening to one side of a telephone call. And I'm just going to do this phone call for you today. We're going to do it like a phone call so you can kind of get the sense of what's going on. On this phone call that Paul is on, he's concerned with two major issues. The first is, what about Israel and all of God's promises to Israel? 
That's number one. Number two, is God justified in doing what he's doing with the gospel? You know, giving it to Jews and Gentiles? Is God justified in doing that? Those are the two major issues. What about Israel? And is God justified? Is what he's doing fair? Is it fair to Israel what he's doing with the gospel? So, here's the phone call. Ring, ring. Paul picks up. We can only guess who's on the other end of the line. Uh, Well, no. Um, What you have to understand is this mystery has been revealed in the gospel. Um, Jews and Gentiles, they're all one. Yes, yes, they're all one in Jesus Christ. No, no, not separate but equal. They're members of the same body. They partake of all of the same promises. Yeah, they're the elect of God. Jews and Gentiles both are part of this body of Christ that God has chosen. Yes. No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that God has changed the arrangement. This was God's plan from the very beginning. It's just that it was hidden. We couldn't see it until Jesus came, died for our sins, and the gospel has gone out. We couldn't see what God's plan was, but we can see it now. God hasn't altered the deal. And okay, but matter of fact is, if God wanted to alter the deal, he could. He's God. But that's not what I'm saying. God hasn't altered the deal. We are his chosen people, both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, look at it this way. Let's look at the very beginning when God called a man named Abram. Okay, God made a choice, right? Of course, God chose. And it wasn't based on anything. God chose, and he had the right to choose. He chose to call Abram. He gave him promises. He said he was going to bless the whole world through Abram, through his faith. And then that promise passed on to Isaac. Okay, Abram had lots of sons, but the promise only went through Isaac. So you can see, just being a physical descendant of Abraham, that's not the key. The key is being a child of the promise. Okay? In Isaac shall your seed be called. And then between Isaac's sons, there was Jacob and Esau. God again made a choice, and it wasn't based upon anything other than God's plan. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. God's plan, what he was working out. And he chose Jacob. The boys hadn't done anything wrong. Neither one of them had sinned or shown any, any particular bad quality. God chose, and that's his prerogative to choose. And, and no, we can't, we can't say that God wasn't justified in doing what he's doing now. I mean, he was justified in choosing Israel from among all of the nations of the world. Right. It was his choice. No one could say, no, God, you can't do that. He chose Israel among all the nations of the world. But that's the point I'm making, is that just like he was justified in choosing Israel back then, he's justified in what he's doing right now. He's choosing a remnant, a remnant of Israel. And he's perfectly justified in choosing a remnant now, just like he was justified in choosing Israel from among all the nations back then. Okay, we'll talk about it more later. Thanks, bye. That was Romans chapter 9. Some key verses to look at in Romans 9 are verses 30 through 33. The Gentiles who had not pursued righteousness, nonetheless, have obtained it. They've reached it, and they reached it by faith. Israel pursued the law of righteousness and didn't reach it because they didn't seek it by faith. They sought it by the works of the law. Therefore, they stumbled over Jesus Christ when he came. That was Romans 9. Now for Romans 10. Let's take another phone call. No, I mean, I'll agree with you. Israel, when we're talking about physical Israel, they are zealous for God. But they're ignorant of God's righteousness. The end goal, the purpose of the law is to bring you to God's righteousness. And when I say God's righteousness, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's the purpose of the law. It's the righteousness of faith. Well, no, it's not a new thing. Moses even talked about this. Moses talked about the righteousness of faith. Faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing the word of God. 
No, of course Israel heard. I mean, if you go to uh, Psalm 19, you can see very clear evidence that Israel heard. They received the word from God. Didn't they know? Well, no. I mean, I think they did know. I think that's also very clear. Look, Moses talks about provoking them to jealousy by those who are not a nation and angering them by a foolish nation. And then Isaiah talks about being found by those who weren't even seeking him while describing Israel as being disobedient, contrary, and unmoved by God's constant appeals. It's not a matter of Israel didn't hear or Israel didn't know. It's a matter of Israel didn't believe. I mean, God says that all day long he stretched out his hands to a disobedient people, and they just wouldn't listen. They heard. They knew. They disbelieved. That's the point. And that was Romans chapter 10. Are you getting the feel, getting the flow for how you can read these chapters? We have got one more to go, and I'm going to make it fast. This will be a short phone call. Romans chapter 11. Well, I'm hearing your objections, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. No, of course not. God has not cast away Israel. That's ridiculous. I I don't know how to put that in strong enough words so that you understand. God has not cast off Israel. It's not like he's built a wall and saying that Israel can't enter into the promises that he has for all the peoples of the world. I mean, I'll show you how ridiculous that is. Take me for an example. Paul, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm an Israelite, and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've entered into the promises, and there are many others just like me. God hasn't cast off Israel. The fact that there are believers who are physically descended from Israel makes that question absurd. But I will say this. There is a remnant according to God's choice, God's election. God has chosen and there is a remnant. What's his choice? No, it's not works. It's not keeping the law. No, no. God's choice, God's election is called grace. It means he gives a gift based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes, to be part of God's elect simply means that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God places you in his elect, his chosen people. That's the point. So if we look at the nation of Israel, some of them have believed. They have been elect because they believed and they entered in. There's a remnant that has believed. But the rest of them, what became of them? Well, they were hardened. Yes, they were hardened by God. No, they weren't hardened so that they would be damned. No, that's not, no. God hardened them as part of his redemptive purpose. He has a purpose even in hardening. Okay, I'll tell you. God's redemptive purpose in hardening them was so that salvation could come to all of the nations. The gospel has gone out throughout all the world. All the peoples are entering in now. That was God's purpose. No. No. God didn't damn them. God didn't harden them so that he could damn them so that salvation could come to the Gentiles. There's a bigger purpose than that at work. Whenever the gospel goes out to the Gentiles... It provokes the Jews who have hard hearts. It provokes them to jealousy. It's simply this. If the Jews believe, they enter into the promises, just like anyone else. Yes, God hasn't cast Israel off. They can still be part of God's chosen people. You have to enter in by faith. Yes, they can be brought back in. And that's what God is using hardening for. He's using it to provoke them to jealousy in hopes that they will turn back to him and enter in. I know, it's amazing, right? I know, how great is our God? He has, he's got plans that are far above anything we could even dream of. Yeah, it's amazing how he can use even hardening to bring people back to him. 
I know, let's praise God together. I'll talk to you later. Bye. That was Romans chapter 11. You get the idea? Romans 9, 10, and 11 are about God choosing to bring salvation to the world. And as part of the process, he hardens some people who are already unbelieving. So he can accomplish his mission of the Messiah to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Gentiles can enter in. Jews can enter in. God has made a choice. His choice wasn't, I want him, I don't want her. No. When we talk about God's choosing, God's election, we're talking about, I'm making a choice that none of these people deserve salvation, but I'm going to save everyone who puts their faith in me. Just like Abram did so many years ago. Everyone who trusts me, I'm going to save. That's God's choice. And you can't say it's unfair. Because all of us deserve hell. It's only by God's grace that any of us get heaven. What a gracious choice it is. Judicial hardening. You know, the funny thing about the gospel... 2 Corinthians, let me find my verse here. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The Apostle Paul talks about everywhere we go, we are spreading the fragrance of Christ among all people. And some people, when they smell that, they say, ah, it smells like death. You know, whenever you drive past roadkill, Paul says some people, whenever we come around, preaching Jesus Christ, they go, ah, that's awful. I can't stand the smell. And then other people who are believing, they smell it and they say, wow, that smells good. That's good. The fragrance of death and the fragrance of life. The gospel softens some people when they hear it. The gospel hardens some people when they hear it. Some people are hardened for a long time and then they finally soften up. I hope and pray that your hearts are soft, that you can see the redemptive purposes of God in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. What is God up to? He's accomplishing his redemptive purposes. He's saving people, people who don't deserve it. I would encourage you to not disbelieve. Don't harden your hearts. Keep a soft heart towards God. Believe his promises. Receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are working out your redemptive purposes in our world. We thank you for your choice, your election to save on the basis of faith by your grace. We're humbled by that. We've got nothing of which we may boast. It's only by your grace that we are saved. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you'll take your bullet.